All right, I will not uh, go over all of the previous section in review, but as we come to our lesson tonight, which, spoiler, the title is Walking as Imitators of God, Part 2. This is the section where we find ourselves in the book of Ephesians. The first three chapters of the book of Ephesians is talking about our position in Christ. If you are a believer, then you have been elected before the foundation of the world so that you would become a follower of Jesus. You are washed by the blood of the Lamb. You are redeemed by your Creator. And you are now a new creation. You are now sealed by the Holy Spirit for the day of promise. You once were dead in your sins. Now you are alive in Christ. You have been adopted into the family of God, and you are one with fellow believers. That is your position. In chapter 4, we now begin to look at our practice in Christ. As a believer, how do I now habitually live my life? Well, Paul starts in chapter 4 talking about how we should be practicing our unity in the church. Brothers and sisters in Christ are all one in Jesus, so we foster, promote, and we work hard to ensure unity in the church. We also should be practicing holiness in our personal lives. So just as much as we want the church to be unified, we want every single individual to be as holy as possible. Knowing that your old self has died and you have been raised to a new self, made a new creation, and you should be holy for your heavenly Father is holy. And Paul begins this section by giving some persuasive instructions to putting on the new self. He says, I and God command you to do this. But when it comes to the new self, it's, it's a little bit vague. It's like when your mom tells you to go clean your room. Well, what does clean mean? For clean people, it's really clear what it means. But you, you walk into the room and you, you see your bed all disheveled and you just take the top sheet. All right? The bedspread and you just... Put that baby over and boom, it's clean. And Kim's looking at me funny because that's how I make the bed, all right? You don't need to make a bed. It's just going to get dirty again, all right? But no, your mom means to take the sheets and to pull them over and the bedspread and to fluff the pillows and pick up the dirty, gross socks that are molding on the floor. Maybe sometimes, mom, that cleaning the room is to, to vacuum it or to dust or something like that if people do those things. So here, we're supposed to put on the new self. Okay, what does that mean? What does it mean to put on the new self? So he begins to give them particular implementation of putting on the new self. Hey, stop lying, tell the truth. Don't be bitter, forgive. Don't steal, work hard. Don't have selfish anger, be righteously anger, angry when the, the need arises. So that's implementation for us. But then we begin, we begin to see in chapter 5... Practical illustrations of putting on the new self. Pictures for us, right? You, you like the books with pictures, right? It, it helps clear things up and to give you some, some guidance. You are to walk as imitators of God. You are to be walking as children of light. I'm supposed to be like God, and I'm supposed to think like God, and I'm supposed to act like God, and I'm supposed to, to love like God. And, and when it comes to, to sinful things, I want to stay in the light. 
I don't want to sneak off into the darkness where sinful things are happening. I want to be in the light because Jesus is the light. And when it comes to wisdom, we know that's both knowing the right thing and doing the right thing. I want to habitually practice that in my life. I don't want to just say I love Jesus. I want to live out the fact that I love Jesus. And these are, these are illustrations or pictures for us in putting on the new self. And on Sunday, we began looking at part one, which is the first two verses. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. An offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tweak my outline points, not the structure of it, but what it's called. Just to kind of sync everything up in this section. Number one, imitators of God walk as his children. Imitators of God walk. As his children. And I'm not saying like a particular walk or something like that. I'm talking about the patterns of your life, how you think and what you do, what characterizes you. And when we come to the word imitators, we are to imitate as beloved children. And we look at the example of Paul who told the church at Corinth, be imitators of me. And we're like, whoa, is that, is that a prideful statement? How could he possibly say that? He said that because be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. I'm going to follow Jesus the best that I can. I'm going to provide you a good example and I want you to come on. And a lot of you were here on Sunday and you saw these very words. And could you honestly say that to the people around you? Could you turn to them these past few days and say, I want you to imitate me because I'm imitating Jesus? Or were you disobedient? Were you rebellious? Were you saturated with selfishness? Were you jealous? Were you toxic and, and angry? As a Christian, we should be able to look others in the eyes and say, follow me because I'm following Jesus. And yes, we're going to stumble. Yes, we're going to sin. But we model that repentance that is needed. When we looked at Jesus in John 8, he said that he came to do the work of the Father. If Jesus came to do the work of the Father, we also should do the work of the Father. His time on this earth was very brief, but he accomplished so much. What are you here for? What is your goal? What is your purpose? What are you doing if not to further his kingdom? To build up believers and to confront sinners with their need of a savior. And we looked at that word beloved on why it was so important. This isn't, you know, as forgotten children, as neglected children. This is beloved children. We're not talking about, we're not the middle child of this family here. Sorry, middle children. We are beloved. And your parents' middle children, they, they love you too. You're beloved. You are prized. You are valued. God dearly loves you. And what he is commanding you to do through the Apostle Paul is to imitate him. To imitate him. 
We talked about shared versus non-shared attributes. All right, he's not saying that you need to be omnipresent, that you need to be everywhere. He's not saying you need to be omniscient, that you know everything. All right, he's not saying that you need to be all-powerful. But he's saying that you need to be holy for he is holy. And you need to be loved because he is love. And you need to be forgiven and, and merciful because those things have been poured out upon you. If you are in Christ, you're one of his children. And as much as you don't think you do, you imitate your earthly parents. You talk like them. You joke like them. You look like them. You like the sports that they like. You like some of the music that they like. You naturally do that. And some of you are working so hard not to. But you're going to imitate them in some way, shape, or form. How much more are we to imitate our Heavenly Father? Imitators of God walk as His children. Faithful, loving children. Imitators of God walk in love. This is the second imperative that we see here. And what does that look like? Well, it, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for you. And why did Christ love us? Remember that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So God the Father loves us. God the Son imitates God the Father. And he also loves us. So much that he gives himself up for us. And I know I know you, you would look at that friend next to you and you would say, hey, I'd take a bullet for you, man. But when that gun starts to fire and you're hopping under that chair and you're not taking a bullet for anyone, he left perfection to come as a baby, fully God, fully man, to live this life for you, to provide the salvation that you need. He took the whip. He took the spit, he took the beating, he took the thorns, he took the nails, he suffocated for you and for me. That is the epitome of love. And that's how you're supposed to love the people around you. That's how you love mom and dad. That's how you love the person that picks on you at school. That's how you love people. As Jesus loved them. We are very good at loving ourselves. So they use that picture in the Bible of what? Jesus says, you are to love others as you love yourself. He's not saying that you should, ooh, I got to throw me a, a little love me party. No, 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 you're already good at that. But do you love the people sitting around you the same way that you love yourself? And this is a, a, an offering and a sacrifice to God, which is a fragrant aroma to him now when we get to part two we continue to look at this idea of imitators and we are to be imitators it says imitators of god walk in holiness they walk in holiness and doesn't this answer the question can you become a believer in jesus and then live your life however you want you know, there's even seminaries not too far down the road that teach this thought process. Hey, you said a prayer at some time, you're in. Hey, you were baptized at some point, you're in. Hey, you have a mental ascension to who Jesus is, you're in. But God says, no, 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 it doesn't work that way. 
if you really are in Christ, you are all in. You are dead to self. You have been raised anew, and you will imitate me in holiness. You're not perfect. That doesn't happen until we get to, to glory with God. But the overall patterns of our life is holiness. And he's going to get very, very specific here. He is going to talk about some sins that must not be named among us. Some sins that must not be named among us. Chapter 5, verse 3. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. What a phrase. Must not be named among us. That same word is used in 2 Timothy 2.19. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands having the seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. God's not confused about who his believer is and isn't. And this passage is going to talk about false imitators. It's going to talk about pretenders coming up. The Christian who names the name of the Lord, who knows the Lord, abstains from wickedness. And specifically, the three sins that are listed here are immorality, impurity, and greed. The word immorality, you're familiar with it, right? It's, it's porneia. That's the Greek word where we get pornography from. It's unlawful sexual intercourse. It's prostitution. It's unchastity. It's fornication. And we don't have to go far down that road. You know what it is. And unfortunately, it pops up on your phone, and it pops up in that app, and it's on your TV, and they're talking about it on the radio, and people are throwing it in your face. And it's all too easy to give in, to look, to linger. Immorality takes something good that God has given to us. The sexual relationship between a married man and a married woman is a good thing that God has given to us. But immorality takes that which is forbidden and it makes us yearn and lust after that. And some of you are already wondering about your internet history right now. And if your parents knew what was on your phone and what the videos you watched and the things you talked about, but you forget that God already knows and that God already sees. And if you're a Christian, it is so serious. It must not even be named among you must not even be named among you. Impurity is a state of moral corruption, which describes the world, right? This world is in a, a, not a slow decline, it's in a fast decline. Morals are being thrown to the side. Greed is the state of desiring to have uh, more than one's due. It, it means greediness, insatiableness, avarice, covetousness. And for some, these sins are, are lumped together. It could be that all of these are a corruption of the love that we're supposed to have. All of these 
are about sexual relationships, but the greed goes far beyond any of this as well. They must not be named among us. This word here, the verb, the, the must not be named among us, it is what we call a present passive imperative, which is interesting. This is a command, but you're not doing the command. What he's saying is, your life should be lived with such a clear testimony for Jesus that the world around you can't even pin this on you. Remember that whole pin the tail of the donkey? Do kids still do that thing? They blindfold them and spin them around and parents laugh the whole time. I think that's why we do it. They try to pin that tail on the donkey. You live your life in such a way that the unbelievers cannot besmirch your name with these things. a high ceiling. It's a high calling. I mean, you can't even watch a good movie these days without Hollywood throwing trash in your face. You have to think back to Philippians 4.8, how whatever is true and whatever is excellent, whatever is of good repute, whatever is lovely, dwell on those things. Christian, these must not be named among us. How do I do that? How do I do that? Every single day, I commit to practicing the process for biblical change. You know what it is by now, right? I set my mind on things above. I'm, I'm scrolling through my phone and something pops up. And I know I shouldn't look at it. I need to engage my mind on things above. I need to put that away. And then I need to put on the op opposite reaction. Immorality, what's the opposite of it? Instead of a lust for that which is wrong, lust for that which is good. Trust God, don't mistrust God. Believe in him, all of those things. We need to live pure lives. The more we give our eyes and our mind access to gross things in gross ways, the harder we got to fight it off. And for some of you, it might mean that you are making significant changes when you walk out this door. When you walk out this door. Someone who struggles with drunkenness should not go where? They should not belly up to the bar where there's all this liquor in front of them. They should get as far away from that as possible. So if you're struggling with immorality and it's your phone that is your access point, get rid of it. Talk to your mom. Talk to your dad. Tell them you need help. Put locks and parental things. And you're like, but that's a, that's a little more restrictive. Who cares? Who cares? In the end, you have to realize that life is more enjoyable living in purity than impurity. The world loves this stuff. The world champions this stuff. Who are the ones that we elevate? We elevate the rich, greedy people. And they're the very ones that are exploiting. We elevate the immodest, immoral, gross people. The impure people. But Christian, these must not even be named among us. You also see these same words in several different places. In Colossians 3, 5, Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body 
as dead. Remember, you have died to sin. Dead to immorality, dead to impurity, dead to passion, dead to evil desire, dead to greed, which amounts to idolatry. These exact same Greek words are found right here. Are you considering the members of your earthly body as dead? The cross brings victory over sin. 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee immorality. The best picture of that is Joseph, right? Remember when Potiphar's wife came? Who knows? She might have been as beautiful as beautiful comes. And she says, lie with me. No one will ever know. That dude left everything and took off. He out of there. Is that how you watch TV? Is that how you listen to the radio? Is that how you do the things that you do? Is that what you allow your mind to cycle through? When it comes to impurity, we also see this in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 7. And if this is a passage you're not familiar with, this is a good one to commit to memory. This is a good one to to go to. It says, for this is the will of God. (gasps) The will of God? I'd like to know what the will of God is. Don't I like read some tea leaves and look at some clouds to discern what the will of God is? No, you go to the Bible. What is the will of God? Your sanctification. Oh, well, that's not as fun. To be set apart and to be holy, that is specifically that you abstain from sexual immorality. And I don't want to neglect one of the greatest struggles. Sex is meant for a married man and a married woman. And anything before that, that crosses that line, that gets that mind in the gutter, that goes too far. And young ladies, if that guy says, if you really love me, you need to do this, he don't love you. And you don't need to do that. Your relationships, one-on-one physically, not just a screen, should be pure. Stay with people. Don't go into your room to watch something alone. Seek accountability from your parents for how long you spend in that car, how long you're out in that driveway. Immorality brings significant long-term consequences says, abstain from sexual immorality that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Immorality is a lack of self-control. It's a lack of self-control. Not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. Don't be like the unbeliever. Control. That no man to transgress and defraud his brother in the matter because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. Guys, this immorality, impurity, this greed, the struggles are real. And for the Christian... We need to set our mind on things above. We need to put off that sin and we need to put on righteousness. We need to hate the sin. If you hate the sin, then you won't want to practice it and it will not be named among you. When it comes to greed, we already see this in in chapter 4, verse 17 of Ephesians. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind being darkened in their understanding. Come on, the unbeliever does this stuff. We don't do it anymore. We've been enlightened. 
They are excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, had given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. You see these words just popping up over and over again? I mean, you think of the stereotypical teenager and what they're thinking about and what they're doing in the darkness and what they're watching on their phone. Christian, that must not be us. And if that is you, you either don't know the Lord and you need to repent and believe, or it could be that you're a Christian and you're struggling and you need help beyond you. And I know that it's embarrassing, but there is not a person that's going to make fun of you or belittle you. We sympathize with you and we want to help you. There's not a dad whose son doesn't go to him and says, you figure it out, kid. There isn't a mom around that if their daughter came and said, this is the pressure and the things that someone's wanting me to do that isn't going to understand and want to help you. Those things must not be named among us. In verse 4, we see sins that do not fit us. Hold that thought. It says, but immorality or any impurity... Or any greed must not be named among you, as is what? As is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Now, why did I choose in verse 4 to describe this as sins that do not fit with us? You see in verse 4 how it says there must be. Anyone in your Bible, how did it, how did it write the there must be? Anything different or special about it? Yeah, it's in italics. Why is that? Those are English words that are not there in the Greek. And you're like, well, it's the English person trying to make the Greek make a little bit more sense. But the reality is when you look at the word, when you look at this verse, the verb here is the which are not fitting. So what is it that doesn't fit us? You know, back in... Back in my day, when I was young, we, we did this thing that the kids don't know about. It's called a, a, a puzzle. It's a puzzle. And, it, and it's like a flat sheet that someone chopped up. And then they mixed everything together. Why? I don't know. It was together, and now it's not. And you take it, and you spend hours upon hours trying to figure out which cat that this goes with. And then you, you, but you know, you know what happens. You know, you guys wouldn't understand this, right? But there are times that you really want that piece to fit. And it kind of looks like it fits, so what do you do? You put it on. If you ever have to do this, no, it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit. Stop it. Please stop it. And then once you're all done, what do you do with it? Take it apart and put it back in the box. Uh, okay. This, these sins don't fit with us. There is a square hole 
and a round peg. It doesn't fit with us, Christian. These things are not fitting. It means to reach a point of connection. Filthiness. Silly talk. Coarse jesting. And these are the the only times in the Bible that these Greek words are used. But we know that filthiness is behavior that shows disdain for social and moral standards. I don't have to take your mind in the gutter to, to show and describe this, but isn't this the world? Filthy. We delight. We call that which is evil good and that which is good evil. Silly talk. It's not like the little baby, oh, little baby, baby talk. It's not, it's not that. It's not being goofy. It has this foolishness to it, this, this brashness. Coarse jesting, vulgar, obscene, crude, grating. You think of the, the jokes that, hey, can, can I tell you a joke? Well, why do you got to ask me? Okay, go, okay. Well, it, it's not clean. Well, I don't want to hear it. Hey, let, let's watch this. Well, you, you might not want to show anyone else this because it's kind of, but oh, then I don't want to watch it. Words that are obscene and gross and, you know, the world thinks they're funny. It, it shows the whole silly talk thing. Look, it just shows uh, such a low IQ level when they think the way to get a good joke is just to throw a cuss word in there. They got to just throw that stuff in there and do all of that stuff and be gross and vulgar. But you know what it's like in the locker room and you know what it's like around the water cooler at work. You don't work. It's the way this world talks. Because out of the heart, out of the heart, rise out with these things. But this isn't us, Christian. Been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Filthiness? Mm -mm. Silly talk? No. Coarse jesting? No. It's not us. It doesn't fit with us. So I want you to go to James chapter 3. And I know you're familiar with the book of James, but wow, it just jumps out at me. Let's actually look at verse 2 of James 3. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now if we put bits into the horses of mouths so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder, wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. And the tongue is a fire. The very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body. And sets on fire the course of our life as is set on fire by hell. For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles, creatures of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out the same opening, both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs, nor can salt water produce fresh? It's inconsistent. Those things don't fit. They don't go together. The tongue is so important. The tongue reveals our heart. 
The tongue reveals our, our ability to control or our lack of self-control. Our tongue can, can lift people up. You think of that person that encourages you and it just makes you feel all happy. And in an instant, that tongue can destroy. That tongue can say pure, wonderful things or it can say gross, nasty stuff. Christian, the gross, nasty stuff does not fit with us in our testimony. But instead of that, you're supposed to give thanks. This is the opposite. And instead of this stuff, thank God, trust God, believe God. Praise is coming out of your mouth. Encouragement and edification coming out of your mouth. Not this stuff. And then in verse 5, we see that false imitators are exposed. False imitators are exposed. Look at verse 5, going back to Ephesians, for this you know with certainty. So what is, the, what is the verb? Know with certainty. What do I know with certainty? Well, I know that cocoa pebbles are delicious. I know that with certainty. But even more than that, you know with certainty. Why? Because God has taught us. God has told us what that no immoral or no impure person, or no covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Do not fool yourself. Stop fooling yourself. If this is you, you are not getting into the kingdom. You're not. If this is what you love instead of Jesus, you're not getting into the kingdom. But if you turn from it and believe in Jesus... Total and absolute forgiveness. When it came to those sins that must not be named among us, these are the same Greek roots used, but they're describing a person. When it talked about immorality, when it says that no one that is immoral, porneia, right? So this is one who walks in immorality. The impure is one who walks in a state of moral corruption. The greed is one who desires more than what is due. And then he goes, for, for good measure, throws in an idolater. That is one who is an image worshiper, is an idolater. That person has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Acts 20 Paul is actually saying this to the elders at Ephesus before he's arrested, right? Remember he's writing from prison? He says, I, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are what? Sanctified. If you are a Christian, you have been sanctified, but you continue to grow in it. But if you are flatlined, absorbed with self and immorality, you are not a Christian. 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 11, I wrote in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world. When he first wrote that, the church at Corinth was like, well, okay, well, we can't talk to anybody in the city. He says, no, no, not them. I'm talking about the Christian that's immoral or the person who says they're a Christian. Or with the covetous, 
and swindlers or with idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Why? Because that is not fitting with a Christian. Those things must not be named among us, and they besmirch the good name of our Lord and Savior. The question that I asked you on Sunday is the same question, is are you an imitator of God? In order to be saved, you are saved by the blood of the Lamb through repentance and faith. It's a free gift, but after you have believed in Jesus, you are an imitator If you're not sure, are you walking in sacrificial love? Is immorality habitually named among you? Is impurity habitually named among you? Is greed habitually named among you? Well, then you are not in Christ. You don't have to wonder anymore. If you are a Christian, look, you will struggle with these sins. You're going to struggle with these sins, and it's going to be a lifelong battle. It is. So you got to prepare yourself. you got to read. you got to study. you got to saturate yourself with, with, with good Christian friends. you got to listen to the Word. you got to sing the Word. you got to come to church. You have to put in maximum human effort because these sins are going to keep coming after you. You have to mortify them. Stop being lazy. Stop being complacent. Stop saying, I wish my life would change and I wish I wouldn't do these things. Do something about it. How do you set your mind on things above? You read the word, you fellowship with his people, you study, you make a commitment, you pray to him. Even that phrase, say that to yourself. This must not be named among us. If I love Jesus, this must not be named among us. Say, this does not fit with us. Throw off that sin. Put on that righteousness. And if you need help, find a youth leader. Find a parent. There's no shame here. We want to love you. Your parents want to love you. We want to help you. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your graciousness, for your kindness, for your mercy. For those of us that are saved, we know we didn't deserve it. And we still know we don't deserve it. But you have forgiven us and given us the righteousness of Christ. And we say thank you and we want to imitate you. If there's anyone here today that's an unbeliever, I pray that you would show them their sin. You would cut them to the quick and they would come to the cross and receive forgiveness. We love you, Lord, and thank you for this time. In your son's name we pray. Amen.